What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now the truth. Welcome to Politics by Faith. My name is Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. If you're new to the show, and I haven't done this in a while, so let me do it in in 60 seconds if anyone's new here and tell you what we're doing. So uh, news is important, but it causes too much anxiety, and that's not good. I don't want anxiety. I don't want you to have it. We got to get rid of it so we can think clearly. So what we do here is we take a story of the day, we explain it, then we get to the root of it, then we lament the brokenness of it. I give you a historical example and then some biblical piece, then we talk about what's in our control. And then a final thought to think about as we go on with the rest of our life. And hopefully at the end of that, we have a better understanding of what's going on, what's really going on, and then the anxiety can wash away. That's the goal. And we've been doing it for a while, and uh, I appreciate you being here. Today's episode, it's, it's on the fence of being what I don't want this podcast to be. I do not want this podcast to be, here's my political stance on an issue, and here is a Bible verse to prove I'm right. I'm, I, I, I'm not here to use the Bible as a weapon for my political preferences. Does that make sense? Today's episode, I could see how it kind of gets close to that. So I'm aware of that up front, and, and hopefully I don't get much closer. The story of the day today is Title 42, immigration and the mess at the border. The latest numbers I saw, DHS, Homeland Security, was expecting 10,000 illegal immigrants after Title 42 expired, 10,000 a day. And Title 42 expired Thursday, at ele- Thursday, May 11th at 11.59 p.m. The Tuesday before it ended, so two, three days before it ended, there weren't 10,000, there were 11,000. And it was still in effect. You with me? So Homeland Security thought it would be 10,000 after it was gone, and there was 11,000 and it was still there. And that's just who we know. Those are just the people we know who came across. Okay. So what's going on here? Here's the deal. This is like the 60 second version, but it's true. If you come across the border illegally and we find you, you get deported. 
Like, what are you doing? You can't be here illegally. We kick you out. But if you come across and you say, uh, asylum, I want asylum. <sighs> okay. Fill out this paperwork. We'll get you an asylum hearing in front of a judge in a few years. And you can plead your case. In the meantime, you're free to go. We'll drop you off at the trolley station. That's it. Now, there are five reasons why you can be granted asylum at that asylum hearing. One of five. You must prove that you are being persecuted because of your race, religion, ethnicity, nationality, or member of a specific group. That's like if you're a freedom fighter in Iran or something and Iran's going to kill you and you're like, I got to get out of here or else I'm going to die. Those are the five reasons. That's it. There's nothing in there about economic hardship or drought or I live in a communist dump and I just want to go to America. Like not, not, Those are not asylum. Asylum is a very specific thing. It's not this vague concept. That's the first point that's very important. Asylum is not, oh, I want to go to a better place. That's not it. Asylum is you're being persecuted in your home country for one of these five reasons, then we'll let you go in front of a judge and plead your case to be granted uh, permission to be here on, on, uh, underneath the category of asylum. No one from Latin or South America meets a single one of those criteria. And every single one of these illegal immigrants coming across will be denied asylum if they even ever go to their hearing, which they won't. And they know that. It's incredibly important to know. None of these people will be granted asylum no matter how much of a sob story they give the judge. Asylum is a very specific thing. And they know they won't be granted asylum. But they say it anyway because they know if they say it, then that is your get into the country free card. Now, Title 42 is not a Trump thing. This is also important to know. Title 42 was not invented by Donald Trump. It actually started in 1944. The 1944 law passed by Congress says that the U.S. Surgeon General can, with the authority of the president, identify a communicable disease outbreak in a different country and deny people from that country entry into America. And the reason Congress granted the president this authority was because there were two specific outbreaks around the world before that. It was in 1892, there was a cholera epidemic. And then in 1929, uh, Congress banned people coming from China and the Philippines because there was a meningitis outbreak. So in 1944, Congress is like, ah, whatever, U.S. Surgeon General, you do it. We're, we're not going to be here and uh, we don't need to give authority every single time. You do it, U.S. Surgeon General and President. You guys can figure it out. Yourself. And it's been used a couple times since then. But that's what Trump used because of COVID. He found, I don't want to call it a loophole, it's right there in the law, but uh, he says, hey, listen, it's not a loophole. Like if, if COVID was this horrific, deadly disease that actually in particular is hurting low-income black and brown people, uh, why do we want to import people with this deadly disease to come into America to most likely be in low-income communities of black and brown people? I hate that term, by the way. I just use it to mock the people who do use it honestly or seriously because it is a ridiculous term. But yeah, we want to stop people coming from low-income co countries that don't have proper health care because of COVID. So it like made sense if you thought COVID was this horrible, serious thing, right? So Trump said, Title 42, we're enacting it. Been on the book since 1944. We're going to use it right now. Well, that is what 
ended on May 11th. It was always temporary. It's always been a temporary thing. Of course it was temporary. Does that all make sense? What Title 42 is? And now it's no longer in effect because there's no more state of emergency for COVID, right? So floodgates are back open. Title 42 is gone. So now we can, we're back, back. It's game on again. Uh, you, you want asylum? Come on over. Say you want it and we'll let you go. No more Title 42 to keep you back and to keep you in Mexico. Why are the Democrats really for this? They're there for the votes. Lori Lightfoot's the mayor of Chicago. You know, the uh, governor of Texas and Florida have been sending illegal immigrants on buses to Chicago and New York, and they're freaking out. <laughs> and literally, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, the third biggest city in the country, is like, we're tapped out. We can't, literally, those words, we're tapped out, we're full, we can't take any more illegal immigrants. It just took like 200 compared to the 10,000 that are in El Paso, right? So, but she was on CNN and she was talking about how the federal government needs to do something. And it was very odd to hear her say all this stuff. But then at the end, she said, oh, and one more thing. <sighs> okay, here, here it is. This is what it's really all about. She said, one more thing. These migrants, they use the word migrants, which is not the right word. A migrant implies you come across the border to pick tomatoes and then you go back. Like a bird migrates, a migrating bird, you go, come back. So these are illegal immigrants. But she says, uh, at least we need to give these migrants work permits. All right, so here's the deal. The Democrats are overwhelming the system intentionally or allowing it to be overwhelmed. Then they're going to give these people work permits. Then they're going to say, well, listen, they're working and they're obeying the laws and they're doing great stuff. So we got to give them driver's licenses. They got to get to work. So we, we should give these illegal immigrants driver's licenses. And then they'll pass a law like they did here in California that says when you apply for a driver's license, you automatically get registered to vote. And then voila, they're registered to vote. It's that simple. The largest popular vote victory in American history. Now the popular vote's not a real thing in the presidential race, but the largest blowout ever was 1984 Reagan versus Mondale, 1984. 17 million votes. Reagan won by 17 million total votes. Right now, there are 22 million illegal immigrants. After this major last push, let's say there's be 25. So it's 25 million more voters, a majority of which are going to vote for the Democrats. They know that. And that is what this is really all about. Don't be fooled by any other trick. So what is at the root of this beyond the politics? And hopefully all of that was helpful. The root of this to me is order versus chaos. But politics aside, it's order versus chaos. Are we a people of order or are we a people of chaos? And right now, in many, many ways, we are people of chaos. We see it everywhere. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. This was a rebuke from Paul to the church in Corinth. Why? Because their worship services were out of control. <laughs> And Paul was here to explain proper conduct in worshiping God. But it's even bigger than that, if I may. You know, people who are worried about global warming and the, the temperatures increasing by a degree or two, it is amazing to me how ordered and regulated the temperatures of planet Earth are. To range between zero to 100 degrees is quite spectacular. When you look at other planets, their temperatures range 
from negative 10,000 to, to a hundred thousand. It's like, like in a day, like thousands of degrees difference. If you look at Jupiter and Venus in America, we're in the, in the world, which is like a hundred degrees. That is incredibly ordered. And we have seasons that come exactly on time. And God made the moon and the sun and everything rotates and spins with, with perfect predictability. That's spectacular. God is a God of order. Your body is order. The way your heart pumps and blood circulates and your heart beats and, and you sweat when your body needs to be cooled off. And even when you get sick, your body is ordered in the way that it regulates the white blood cells and you get a fever for reasons. Like It's not arbitrary. There's reasons for it. Your body's trying to get back to this state of homeostasis, this state of order. Everything God does is precisely at the right time. Many of the, almost most of the early scientists were Christian because they were trying to learn more about God's order and design. Isaiah 18 says, come, let us reason together. You and God, let us reason together. And the border right now is none of this. The border right now is chaos. It's frantic. It's dangerous. It's deadly. I just, before I came here, I noticed, uh, I heard this all, the news report, of a, of a young child who died in our custody. We'll never know how many people die along the way. And there's some people in DC who love it because they can use it for their own political gain. So that to me is the root of what's going on here. And this is why it breaks my heart so much is because it's a question of order versus chaos. So let's lament for a second, speaking of broken heart, because I do emotionally struggle with this. Why did God let you and me be born in America? But this other family was born in awful Venezuela. I don't know what to do with that. I, if you have any ideas on what to do with that, like I don't, I don't know other than just be extremely grateful, of course. And if I were born in Venezuela, I could see myself doing whatever it takes to go to a nicer place. How could you not? So I definitely struggle with that. I understand. I lament awful places. I lament terrible countries. I, I lament poverty-stricken, dangerous, failed communist states like Venezuela. I wish this wasn't so. But this is also the norm of the world. It's poverty. That's the norm. That's the natural state of man is to live in a state of poverty. I think it's worth just lamenting that there are so many people who live in a place that is that awful. Speaking of awful places, let's get some history here and then we'll get to the biblical history. And this is where we're going to get a little close to like, like a biblical justification of, of policy. Well, I'm just going to tread lightly, but I think it's all still very important. Where did this asylum law come from. Right, so I mentioned there's five reasons why you can be granted asylum. What was the genesis of that? I'll explain that in just a second here. We'll go back to 1933. But first, I want to tell you about our very first sponsor here on Politics by Faith, and that's Public Square. Please download the app. It's fantastic. I just opened it up right here. And the first thing that popped up was seven weeks coffee, pro coffee, pro life. <laughs> right? So that's what I mean. Like, I want to do business with you. I don't want to buy Starbucks coffee. They hate 
me. They hate everything we stand for. They give money to abortion centers. Like, like, what do we do? Why would I give money to them when they're going to spend their money in, in these other ways that are immoral and wrong? So free download, start easy. Just hit near me coffee, near me restaurants and do business with people who share your values. And you can check out those values on their website, publicsq.com and just know and have the confidence and joy that you are spending your hard-earned money on businesses and therefore with people who believe in the same things you believe in. And it's really wonderful and empowering and I love it. Public Square is the app, free download in the app store, publicsq.com. 1933, there were laws in Germany that started to treat the Jews horribly. And it was 1938, Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. That's when many Jews said, we got to get out of here. So 900 of them hopped on a ship called the St. Louis. It flew under the Nazi flag. The ship's first destination was Cuba. And the passengers there were, were planning to live and then hopefully get to the United States. It took two weeks to get to Havana. But the people in Cuba, the Cuban officials would not let them get off. Oh, imagine. Imagine how horrible. You go on this long journey. You're hoping to get to freedom. You're hopeful. And then it just gets ripped away from you right there. Awful. A majority of the 900 Jews on board even had Cuban visas. But the Cubans said no. For some reason, they let 28 people off. I don't know why those 28. They waited there for a week, a week so close. And they got desperate. One of the passengers slashed his wrists and jumped overboard. And they brought him to a hospital in, in Havana. I don't know if they, that was like, uh, they, they let him stay or not because of that. But they had to go. So they left. They went to Miami. And Miami said, no. We at the time had a quota system. We only allowed 27,000 people from Germany and Austria into the United States, and we met the quota. A State Department official sent a telegraph to the passengers, said that they must await their turns on the waiting list and qualify for and obtain immigration visas before they may be admitted into the United States. So 24 days after the St. Louis left Europe, it turned around back to Germany. Oh. They tried to go to Canada too, but the prime minister wouldn't even let them go to Canada. The prime minister said, if these Jews were to find a home in Canada, they would be followed by other shiploads. The line must be drawn somewhere. Back in Europe, different European countries were trying to find a place for these people. And about half found a home in other countries. The rest went back to Nazi Germany. And in the end, 254 of these wannabe refugees were killed. 254 of them were killed by the Nazis. This is why we came up with asylum standards. It was after this, when the people of America and Congress got together and said, okay, this, we don't want something like this to happen again. So we need to have a separate system for people who are seeking asylum. So we sat down and we said, okay, what are the standards where someone can apply for an asylum uh, permission to be here? Okay, well, if you're uh, persecuted and you're risking a jail or death because of your religion, Jews, perfect. 
done. And then the rest that we talked about earlier, the five standards, religion, race, ethnicity, nationality, or a special group that's like a, like freedom fighters. Those are the five we came up with. Not economic, not because I wanna, not even a natural disaster, five specific standards for, for asylum. And again, none of the people from Honduras or Venezuela today meet it. So that's the historical background of why we even have an asylum system. I wanna make three Bible points here. Noting first that it is risky to flippantly compare ancient Jewish legal code with modern American society. I'm aware of that, but I believe there are certain truths that we can pull when it comes to the uh, immigration in the Bible. First point, be very wary of people who never quote the Bible, who suddenly start using scripture to justify whatever they want. When nothing else they've ever said is biblical or, or they have no other biblical position in any way, but all of a sudden they do and they start dropping Leviticus on you. When you get people throwing Leviticus in your face who have never read a word of the Bible, then you can uh, take it with a grain of salt. But we will not. We will take it more than that and see what's actually going on. Leviticus 19.33 says, When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the stranger. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. Hmm. So does that advocate for open borders? Does that advocate for letting everyone come in however we want? There are four different Hebrew words for the concept of an immigrant, traveler, sojourner, stranger, alien. We have all these words that kind of all sort of mean the same thing in, in normal talk but legally they definitely don't. And there are four words in Hebrew. We're going to focus on two right here just to make it simple. A foreigner who had no legal status, no legal status whatsoever. The word for this in Hebrew is nekar and zar. N-E-K-H-A-R and Z-A-R. Two different words. This would be the equivalent more or less of our illegal immigrant. The term for stranger used in Leviticus 19.33 is the word ger, G-E-R. This would be the equivalent of our legal immigrant, green card, visa, something like that. Again, the word stranger, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the stranger. The stranger who resides with you shall be with you as a citizen among you. That is the word ger. There was a process to go from being a foreigner, illegal immigrant, to a stranger, illegal immigrant. I'll give you a simple example. Genesis. There was a famine in Canaan, and the sons of Jacob went to Egypt, right? Because we know the story of Joseph. There was, Joseph uh, knew that there was going to be this uh, famine, so they stockpiled all this grain. Right? So the sons of Jacob... Joseph's brothers said, we got to go to Egypt. We're desperate. We need food. Here's what the Bible says. This is Genesis 47, three to six. They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants. Sojourn. What word did they use? Ger. We've come to sojourn in your land. Uh, there's no pasture for your servants' flocks. Excuse me, there's no, no pasture for your servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. 
And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your fathers and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. So they use the word to sojourn, meaning can we come here legally? And they asked permission from the the Pharaoh, the king. Pharaoh granted them permission. So they were strangers residing in Egypt as legal residents. Give another example. This sort of ties into point number two, that borders are moral and acceptable and necessary and just assumed. There's this movement today that says borders are immoral. That's ridiculous. There's always been borders and borders are good. So after the exodus from Egypt, Moses and the Hebrews lived for 40 years in in Sinai. They were nomadic around. No one claimed that territory so they could move freely and it was no problem. But when they left Sinai, they needed to pass through this town called Edom, E-D-O-M. And they needed permission or they sought permission. Numbers 20, 14 through 21. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. So they're asking permission. Like, Just let us through. But Edom said to him, you shall not pass through lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, we will go up uh, by the highway. And if, if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But the king said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. I don't think it's possible for Moses to have asked more politely <laughs> for permission. Even, hey, we'll pay. If, if anything breaks, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll pay for it. But still, no. The answer was no. The point is, the foreigners, illegal immigrants, needed to get permission to enter into another land. It wasn't just this free-for-all. It wasn't this wild, like, whatever. Another day, uh, we'll talk about the idea of a, a sanctuary city. Right? Today, we have sanctuary cities, and people are like, oh, it's from the Bible. The Bible had sanctuary cities. No, the Bible says that if you accidentally kill someone, you do something and it accidentally kills them, then you can go to one of these sanctuary cities, not to run away forever and hide, but that was a place you could go to get a fair trial. If you stayed where you were, there was a chance that the, the victims would seek revenge on you and kill you. But if you go and you get to the sanctuary city, you can be safe there while you get a fair trial. So this idea of a sanctuary city where it's just total lawlessness, like we have in our big city today, that's not what a sanctuary city is in the Bible, but that's for another day. Third point here, walls. Of course, there were walls in the Old Testament. Last week, we talked about Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah 6 specifically, but Nehemiah went to Jerusalem to build a wall around the city. And then we talked about all the bad guys who are trying to distract him from God's work. Let me quote this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Oh, you're racist. That we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that he, excuse me, that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. 
Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. So the bad guys said, no wall. Good guys said, of course, we're going to build a wall. This idea from people today in America that walls are evil, like walls are immoral. That's so bonkers. Every kid's kingdom favorite Bible story is Joshua of Jericho, the city with mighty walls. And God tore them down. These were huge walls, 11 feet high, 14 feet wide. What? But the point is there were walls. Trump did not invent walls. <laughs> Evil monster Trump was not the person who first invented the wall. So it's okay that we, that people in America want to build a wall. All right, so three biblical points. I hope I don't cross any lines here. But the first point, there's a distinction in the Bible between people who are traveling through a place, if you will, in our modern parlance, legally or illegally. There's different words for those terms. Second point, there are borders. There are sovereign, independent nations or cities in the case of the Bible that people asked for permission to go to. It wasn't just come and like, like you're like, you're, you must accept me. Like that's not how that worked. And then third point, of course, there were walls. <laughs> we should have one too. All right. So what's in my control? Well, this isn't my control. This is their control. But Romans 13, one says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. You got to follow the rules. You got to follow the law. And we say that's true for us too. I may make that point often. You may not like the law. Ugh, you got to follow it unless it disobeys God's law, of course. But other than that, even if you don't like it, you got to do it. You got to pay your taxes. And even if you're from Venezuela and you really, 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 really want to come to America, you got to follow. You got to be subject to the governing authorities. You can't just break the law. What's the responsibility of our leaders and therefore us, the voters? Well, Romans 13, four says that our leaders are God's servant for your good, which I believe means that our leaders should be thinking about what is best for the citizens of the country, which they were elected to serve in and represent not mankind in general. There's a place for that, of course. But what is best for the citizens of America? I believe we should be able to determine who we allow into our country and not. And we should be very generous. We are very generous. But it has to be done orderly. I find that to be a very sensible position. And if you agree with me on that position, don't feel bad. Don't feel like you can't articulate that out loud because you'll be called a racist and all the rest. When it comes to legal immigrants, the church should be a home away from home. We should be going out of our way to help families adjust to life in this new country. And we should never take advantage of people who are here legally, um, yeah, newcomers to America because they may not know the language or the culture or whatever. No, we should never do that. We should always treat every person here legally with kindness and generosity and great hospitality. When it comes to illegal immigrants, I'm not suggesting you take matters into your own hands and kick them out personally or spit on them and be horrible. But I think we need to vote accordingly so that we can have firm rules that are followed and enforced. Why? Because God is a God of order. And if I may, one last point that is truly in our control. I think it's up to us to know who we are. It's very weird that the left on one hand says we're the worst country in the world and we were founded on racism and we're super racist. And also so many people still want to come into this racist country. Like, oh, we're so racist against brown people. And like there's 10,000 a day wanting to come in like that seems bizarre, but I don't think most young people want to protect this country because they don't think we're something worth protecting. 
I gave this analogy on SiriusXM the other day that if you went to a silent auction and you meant to bid on something you really wanted, like an autographed football or something, and instead you put the wrong, you bid on the wrong card and you ended up getting some ugly piece of modern art garbage. And you're like, oh man. So you bring it home and you're about to bring it inside and you're like, nah, whatever. And you leave it outside. You don't care. <laughs> you don't care if it's going to rain tonight. You don't care if the squirrels get at it. You don't care if someone steals it. You hope someone steals it, right? Because it, you don't want it. And I feel like that's true with our country. But if you wanted a silent auction, something that you value and cherish and love, and let's say it's raining when you get home, you're going to put it under your shirt to make sure it doesn't get even a drop of water on it. You're going to bring it home and you're going to treat it with respect and care. And I think that analogy holds for our country. Our kids are taught to hate America. So why protect it? So our job is to know who we are and why we are a place worth respecting. And know this, America's not just an idea. Conservatives and me, including fell in this idea that America's just like this, like this concept. No, America's also a place. It's a real place with people who live there. I live here. You live here. It's a place with buildings. It's where we live our lives. And it's worth protecting. But if we don't value it, and we don't know why we're here, then we just won't. So it's up to us to know who we are and what we are doing here as Americans. Final thought to think about, meditate on as we move on. I'm just going to quote 1 Corinthians 14.33 again. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And if I may throw in there, a God of order. Order is the beauty of God's creation. And I believe we should strive to reflect order in our lives however it's possible to do. That's true for in our lives, in our homes, in our relations, and dare I say, in our country. This podcast brought to you by Patriot Gold Group. How is the economy doing? How's the dollar doing? Are we happy? Are we content? We think it's going well? We think things are looking up? I don't. I know it's, I believe it's going to be a hard time until the election. And then depending on that goes, well, so it goes a lot. I don't trust the Federal Reserve. I bought gold. I own physical gold and silver. It's in my possession. I hold it in my hands, which is unbelievable. Like This used to be the thing that only kings could own, and now you can own it. If you want to own physical gold, Patriot Gold Group. If you want to have your IRA and 401k be in physical gold and silver, then Patriot Gold Group is by far the best consumer affairs top-rated gold IRA dealer six years in a row. Ask about a no-fee-for-life IRA on qualifying rollovers with Patriot Gold Group. 1-888-617-6122. 1-888-617-6122. You get a free investor's Patriot Gold Group.